Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Do you know, I might have been inclined to laugh a little bit at uh, Michelle yesterday when she was talking about uh, angels. Some of your messages that we got in afterwards were absolutely fascinating. And I might tell you, even though I won't go into the details, got a little message myself yesterday. Just a little sort of a uh, heads up that one of these all will be well messages. Just got it in a weird way. I won't go into it because it's kind of personal, but I did. And then we got messages from people who saw things, who heard things, things they can't explain. So maybe that's a message. But we had some fun with that yesterday. It was nice to talk about it. Good morning, 185715996. Two more tickets to give away today to Elton John. Live at Parky Creep next summer with our friends at Aiken Promotions. Give you the song a little bit later. Also, going to talk about children and vaccines. And look, I have made no secret of my feelings about adults and vaccines. And I've made no secret about the fact that I have little or no time for those who are adults who say, I just don't want to. That's that's me. I'm not for turning on that one. I'm prepared to perish on that rock. But I do realise that as parents of small children, we must make decisions very carefully based on what on their health and around their health and to do with their health. So we'll look into later the things that parents are worried about. Now that the vaccination program for children is about to start, it'll start before Christmas for the very vulnerable children and those living with very vulnerable relatives. And then it'll start early in the new year for the five to 11 year old. They're talking in the papers this morning about having special clinics 
special vaccination clinics for the children that would be more child friendly that kind of thing but I know in my heart that some people just have concerns and all the doctors in the world and all the scientific papers in the world and all the reassurance in the world won't ease that doubt in your mind so we'll talk about that a little bit during the morning but I want to start with a sad story a very sad story imagine if your loved one was murdered okay so your loved one is murdered and there's a case built and an accusation made and an arrest is made and a charge is brought forward and then before you get to court the person accused of the murder dies therefore the case can go nowhere Jared Lynch uh, who was 68 from a place called Rally North in McCroom had been charged with the murder of a man called Derry Coakley uh, he was a 60 year old man from Corraheen in Rally North also in 2018 I remember covering the case, I remember the morning the story broke, I remember it the arrest being made and everything due for the trial and then and then Gerard Lynch died Deirdre Coakley is Derry's daughter Deirdre you've written to the Minister for Justice a passionate letter in the last number of days what are you asking Minister McEntee good morning Good morning, PJ. And my condolences again. I, I it just, I remember, I remember the case very well. I remember it breaking when I was on the air here. Thank you so much. Yeah, um, it's been a whirlwind, I suppose, of the last three years. I, I can't believe it's three years. Um, I suppose I wrote to the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, because from my experience of the justice system. I, I see that it's extremely dated. There's so many gaps there that need attention and like a few key areas that I've I've pointed out from from being there like is the wait time from trial crime to trial, reading a victim impact statement, even if the trial can't go ahead, um, allowing Gardaí to have the authority to obtain medical records of the accused and the accused to participate in medical check excuse me, checks if asked to do so. Um, another thing I, I really noticed I, I want to focus in and as well, PJ, is the mental health supports and resources in the courts. They're just not there. Yeah. They're not there. Bring us back to the timeline. I pre- you'll appreciate, dear, dear listeners tend to forget these things because they don't come into their own lives. So, so Dad was killed in October and then yeah. it was pretty much an open and shut case, wasn't it? The charge... Absolutely. So the the 24th of October 2018 and the arrest was made that day. The charge was made uh, with murder for Jared Lynch. Like um, it was clear cut. Jared Lynch did it. But it's still we were waiting till 2020 for a trial. Um, They said definitely not 2019, 2020 if you're lucky. Um, So we were considered lucky to have the trial to go ahead in 2020. Mm. Um, which is and when did when did um, Lynch die? So he died in August of 2020. The trial was supposed to go ahead in October of 2020. My mom and I were actually in the criminal court in Dublin um, the day he died in August. We were 
at a hearing where the DPP were presenting ways to the judge, Paul McDermott, in which the trial could go ahead even if he couldn't get into the court. Mm. So they just wanted to receive that plea. So they were presenting ways via video link, um, have your court in his house. Um, the judge rejected these ideas and we were told... No, there's going to be no trial. Because it had been known, had it not, for quite a while that he was terminally ill. It came to the surface during the summer and it was actually my guard, the liaison officer, which I'm grateful for, Lisa Hyde, brought it to, to us as a family. She said he doesn't seem to be well, but like they couldn't ask for records. He then presented them with records that he was terminally ill when this, the trial started coming closer. Like he knew... He didn't want to go to trial. He knew he wouldn't get there because he presented these records. So then the panic happened of trying to get him in. Like I was I was rang one day in, in during the summer in July uh, saying that the trial's going ahead tomorrow because he's getting too sick with times not times against us. And I had to write my victim impact statement in a matter of, of hours and was I had to psych myself up mentally to get a phone call few hours later saying, actually, we, we can't go ahead. His, his solicitors have said no. And eventually what happened was there's a thing called a nolle prosequi, which means no cause for prosecution. That was entered, um, case closed. Uh, the man who killed your dad, or who was charged with killing your dad, uh, he's dead. And you feel dad got no justice. Oh, it it's it severely upsets me, PJ. Um, is just like yeah, as you said, like case case closed. That's it. Off you go now. Get on with your life. I suppose uh, in a way. Um, like I know that. Like I suppose people are asking me, was there some kind of ease that he died charged with murder? Not really. Like he never got to see me. He never got to see the effects of what he had done. Yeah. has caused on, on me and my family. He never got to face up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just not not good enough. Um, I suppose I still, I, like, I feel at the end of a trial like that, reading a victim impact statement or given the option, like, brings the case back home. You didn't it get to do that. Dad, no, it's it's been on my laptop since that day. It's on my desktop. You know, it's it's there. It's it's something I read over because it's it's some it's really from the heart and it brings the case back to not just a case. It was my dad. He took the most important one of the most important people away from me. Would you do something for me, Deirdre? Would you summarise what's in that statement for for the listeners to the opinion line? How did this affect you and your family? It was. (laughs) It's just. It's so hard to explain what a hole in my heart and my life and my family's life that Gerard Lynch like has left after taking my dad away from me. I suppose in my victim impact statement, uh, I talked about, I spoke about um, my dad and I's relationship, how it was getting so much stronger. Um, he taught me how to drive, <laughs> had so much patience and would do anything and everything for me. And, um, I suppose, how he didn't deserve to die that way, PJ. Mm. Tell me about him. What was Derry like? What kind of a man was he? <laughs> oh, he. Um, I think I can speak from McCroom as well. Like, he he was such a 
caring, kind man who definitely kept us safe on the roads by <laughs> salting the roads in the winter. Like, and I'd be like, oh, dad, like, watch out. That's so dangerous because <laughs> he'd just take off in his four tractor and salt spreader at the back. And I'd be like, oh, dad, that's so dangerous. Like, he'd be going up everywhere and anywhere. Mm-hmm. hills and all that but um, he's like no no I, it's my job I keep everyone safe and like he would he honestly would do anything someone said at the time and the funny the story you've told there is someone described him in a message here to the programme as he was the salt of the earth in that case he certainly <laughs> was wasn't he he was indeed yeah he never do you know he was such um, a man to keep himself to himself he never caused any aggro and if there was any ag- aggravation or issues in my life, he'd always say, look, try to work them out, walk away from a fight. Like, and that's not something I'm just, I'm just saying because of what happened, but he was just a very non-fighting man. Mm. And so for this to happen is just extremely hurtful because he didn't bring it on. You know, yeah. he did nothing. Yeah, it, It's just... And, and tell me, what, is there anything that Minister McEntee could do now to help ease the hurt that you and your mom are going through? To answer that, PJ, no. Um, there's nothing that be- can be done for my dad, for my mom or I or the family because um, it, it's it's case closed, basically. There's there's nothing, but I, I'm here and I'm I'm want to I suppose campaign and speak out for other for the for the other you know for the others that will be coming through the system unfortunately and to improve it make the nightmare that like victims survivors and victims families are, are going to go through easier and bring in those mental health supports change and those changes that I, I have mentioned and highlighted above might ease a bit of it, like if we had a little bit of support that time, you know, it would have been, everything would have been helpful. You know, here's a question that might go through uh, uh, somebody's mind, dear, and I'll be very careful how I'll phrase it. So, so Lynch died and yes, you didn't get the day in court. He didn't get convicted of what he did to your dad. But also, you don't face the prospect. He was only 68. He could well have been out of prison while you're still a very young woman. Probably while your mum is still alive. So, you don't ever face that prospect now. And that gives you no comfort. No, absolutely none. Um, He didn't face up to what he did and that's one of my huge things okay he could have been left out whatever um in the time that I would still be alive but at least he would have been in prison and away from all his comforts and all the things that he died with yeah I'm not sure if you're allowed to answer this question if you not tell me did he ever at any point through his legal representatives or anybody offer a single word of apology or anything? Not a word, PJ. And it's something that deeply upsets me because I wanted to go and see him. I wanted to be put before him 
to show him and tell him like what he has done to me and I, I was I kept pushed back by the legal team not not an option yeah that that would be a thing called restorative justice and we're, there's a long talk about that you had great help I think from the wonderful Sally Hanlon in support after crime services absolutely <laughs> absolutely Sally, Sally and Sharon were excellent and like I was so lucky to have them in Cork like and you know, I, I just feel for the other people uh, up the country, like around the country, like that wouldn't uh, be so lucky to have them near. Um, I know they're available by phone, but like, again, their voluntary service, PJ, you know, that's, they're not like, they don't, they're doing that from the good of their hearts. Like, yeah. there's nothing in the courts, you know, that my mom and I weren't offered counselling. And that day that the news broke that there was nothing more, there wouldn't be a trial. We were just told that. We said They said, look, there's not going to be anything. There's no more we could do. And we were we were told that, and that was the most heartbreaking news. And then a lady came in and said the room was needed. And then that was it. We were put on the train down to Cork and got the phone call saying George Lynch had died on the way down. So How do you process that? that? There's no trial. There'll be no justice. The man who killed your dad has died himself. How do you process that, knowing that and finding that out? It's still something I'm working on, to be honest with you. Um, it's such a, a, a heavy blow. Um, I suppose I, I felt myself I was going to leave my grieving until the trial, which is a really bad way of dealing with it. But I went back to college straight away Um after dad dying to keep my mind off it and I said like that you know the trial will be coming I need to be strong until then and at that point I can I can deal with it but then to get that massive news and disappointment it hurt me beyond beyond belief and my mom and it's just something that I just hope never happens to anyone else it's it's a horrific thing to experience You've asked Minister McEntee to meet you. Mm. What would you like to say at that meeting were it to happen? I'd love for, for Minister McEntee to, to meet me. Like I'd love for the opportunity to tell her about the above points, tell her about my experience. And I'm not there, you know, to give out. I'm there so that we could work together um, with her and her team to start implementing a change address the system, improve it and just bring those resources that are, are really lacking in. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of unbelievable to say that there is no mental health supports in the court or, or those basic kind of things. Deirdre, I take it that, again, Christmas is a very hard time for yourself and your mum. But I will wish you well. And we may talk again. Thank you so much, PJ. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Happy Christmas to you as well. And to you, Deirdre, and to your mum. That's Deirdre Coakley, daughter of the late Derry Coakley. Um, tragic case, tragic case. I wonder where it'll go. Can we just talk?
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Something we want to have a bit of fun with uh, tomorrow, but we start planning it today, is Christmas ads. They're back on the telly. There's some new ones. Some of the old ones are back. Some of the radio ones are back. Some of the great radio ones are missing. I want you to have a think about what's your favourite ever Christmas ad. I know mine, and I'll not be moved on it, but what's yours? We'll think about that today and tomorrow. 1850-715-996. Now, NIAC announced yesterday that it was approving vaccines for children aged between 5 and 11. They will receive a small dose. It's a microdose. It's about a third the size of an adult dose, which is a tiny, tiny dose. They will receive a tiny, tiny dose of whatever vaccine they're given, which I think will be universally Pfizer. And initially, they will vaccinate children who are vulnerable and they will vaccinate children who are living with very vulnerable relatives. They plan to try and do that before Christmas. The doses are due here uh, mid to late December, mid-December, I think. It's not just a matter of using a smaller syringe out of the bottles that they give to us adults. I didn't know that. I was reading about it during the night. And then after Christmas, the plan is to vaccinate children in class or from class, you know what I mean, in, in schools between age between 5 and 12. And there's talk of special centres or special clinics to be set up to be more child-friendly. One paper this morning even suggesting that you might have to do some clinics in schools, you know, just so it's child-friendly. Um, I have gone on record many times, and it's a rock I'm prepared to perish on with regard to my views to vaccinating adults. But children is an entirely different thing, because you have to make a decision as a parent for your child. And... You were weighed down with worry when your child, anything to do with your child's health is something that weighs you down with worry. We acknowledge and accept that. Jen Hogan is a parenting journalist, been on the show with me quite regularly. Jen, um, I think that's a fair Mm -hmm. comment, isn't it? That we'll make a decision for ourselves as adults and stick with it. But deciding anything to do with your child's health is a whole different ballgame. Absolutely. It's it's very different when you're having to consent for others. And a bit like yourself, you know, I was there absolutely delighted to get my vaccine and very much, you know, it wasn't even, I didn't even have a, didn't give it a second thought and it was, I was straight out there getting my vaccine. But I suppose I have, I face this now already because my teens were, have been vaccinated, but now I'll have three children in this category. And still, once it's, once it's announced, I can completely understand parents having concerns and they do have concerns. They have lots of concerns and they're afraid, I suppose, sometimes to voice those concerns because you're talking people who, you know, are not um, anti-vaxx in their views or not um, anti the idea of vaccination generally in their views. But they have concerns, like you said, because it's younger, it's their children. They feel that huge duty to protect and to be informed. And I suppose it is... As a result, certainly from speaking to parents on the ground, you can see that in the sort of responses that I'm getting. You can see that concern reflected where you'd have the overwhelming majority of parents saying, absolutely, I'm getting vaccinated when it was themselves. But this time you have a little bit more hesitancy and that's largely based on the fact that I suppose children are so young and and a lot of concerns around the fact that 
I mean, we've been told repeatedly that children thankfully don't get very sick from the virus mm-hmm. and the vast, vast, vast majority don't. And that's that's a great thing that thankfully we are seeing. It is playing out that the vast, vast, vast majority of children don't get very sick. So I suppose it's left a lot of questions as to why we're going to vaccinate them then. And that mm-hmm. has come up repeatedly in my conversation with parents. Talking to doctors and talking to particularly pediatricians and, and people who work in vaccine production and Mm. vaccine research all they give us is constant reassurance trust Mm -hmm. this it's own it's going to be okay they've they've done the research into the safety of giving it it's a micro dose it's a fraction of what we adults get and people are queuing up doctors pediatricians scientists queuing up to say it will be okay But a parent listening to that, what questions are they asking in response? Well, the great thing, I suppose, is we do have real life data now that we can go on because obviously this has been rolled out in the States and Israel. And so we have though we have countries like that to refer to. And that is, I mean, that's comforting when you're the parent who hasn't yet gone to have their child vaccinated, but you can see what's happening. And, and the reports coming in um, yesterday, um, Christine Losher was on yeah. the Tonight Show on Virgin Media, and she mentioned that there has been no cases of heart inflammation reported in children um, of this age group. So that's hugely real assuring because obviously that was a concern mm. for the older um, teens because it was very, very rare, but it, it did happen. I suppose that they're kind of some of the concerns that parents, that they still have some of the genuine concerns that were there the first time. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And then there's there's obviously the gen, there's there's information out there that relates to different age groups. So things like that are, are still very much mm. concerns for them. Is it fair to say that the biggest troublemaker in the room here is Dr. Google. Dr. Google doing our own doing our own research. And you can again you can actually understand why. And I think that's why a, an information campaign is so, so vital and a really good information campaign that addresses things on layman's terms because there's so much scientific talk is on, you know, when you're having experts t- uh, discussing vaccines, sometimes they forget the rest of us aren't experts and we need it in, in our language and we need it in the, the sort of context that we can understand too. And as a result, you know, people are going to Dr. Google or they're asking, you know, they're taking advice perhaps from people who aren't qualified to give it. It is great to have you know, to have the doctors reassuring us. It absolutely is great. That's what we need. We need to hear, you know, what they, the the expert opinion. We absolutely need to hear the expert opinion and we need to ask questions and we need to be able to ask questions. It's just important that we're asking questions of the correct people. And Dr. Google is not the right person to ask because he'll throw all sorts of stuff at you. Yeah, yeah. It will. And the, the internet has been mm. desperately manipulated by people with nefarious intent. And, and Jen, yeah. I, I'm, I, I kind of am and kind of not asking you, have you made your own decision as to what you're going to do? Well, that, I, I mean, I have my... Question? No, no, it's fine because I'm, I'm quite, I am happy to actually, I suppose, now my flight to the mast here. I am, um, I mean, I have my teenagers vaccinated. I suppose I went through that worry when I was getting them done. It was the first time, particularly my 12-year-old, because it's one thing looking at a big strapping 17 and 15-year-old who are men-sized children, you know, and you're going, okay, this is different. They're bigger lads. That's fine. And my 12-year-old is obviously a smaller child because he's only 12. He, I remember get, when I was getting him done, he was the one I was most concerned about. And I don't know why. And I think it does t- all the kind of the doubt and all the, the rumours and all the uncertainty. It does. It does actually 
eat away at you going, well, why do people feel like this? And and the one thing we don't have, the one thing that, and that is something that Nayak have held their hands up to and said, we don't have the long-term data. And that's why I suppose it's going to be so important that when the information cam- campaign comes out that they are straight with us. But we do have lots and lots and lots and lots of real-time data. Yeah. So, um, I will actually vaccinate my children. I have thought about this a lot. I will get them vaccinated. I will follow the information campaign with huge interest. Um, I'm not afraid to ask questions. I suppose in my position, I'm, I'm lucky enough. I'm working in media. So I, I'm often interviewing experts about that. So as well as doing it for work, I get to, I get that personal reassurance too, because I'm able to ask questions that are on parents' minds. But And I'm a parent too, so I have, I have the questions too. So I feel reassured and I will get my children vaccinated. But I do know on the day I take them to get vaccinated, particularly looking at my youngest, who's only six, I'll be looking at him and I, I will I will have nerves. I think will, will you I think have that moment, Jen? And, and will you have that moment where the vaccinator is preparing the jab when you're, you ask yourself, will you ask yourself, am I doing the right thing here? I think I have asked myself that repeatedly before I get to the vaccine centre. I, I, I mean, I trust the science. I, I, I want to. I want to. I want people to be straight with me about why I'm doing it. And for me, largely, the reason I'm doing it is both obviously to protect my children and to protect, you know, to play our own society, but also largely so that they can, I mean, have a less disrupted childhood, perhaps, so that they, there's not that same uh, miss it, amount of missing school and missing their activities. Sure. That would be my hope from getting it done. But I will, right up until the day I go, I will still be asking the questions. I will still be having the debate in my head gone. I'm do, do, checking with myself in that I am happy I am doing the right thing. Um, um, but I think that will that will take place before I arrive at the vaccination centre. But yeah. it is absolutely at the moment my plan to vaccinate my children. All right, Jen, thank you for being with us. That's Jen Hogan, parenting journalist. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Your thoughts welcome. I'm on a totally different page here than I have been with adults with regards to children. You're making decisions for your children. You will ask yourself a thousand times, "Am I doing the right thing?" Here, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six two tickets for uh, Elton John. Thanks to Aiken Promotions, first of July twenty twenty two, at Parky Cueve, Farewell Yellowbrick Road, the final tour. We need you to name this Elton John song. Okay, you need the name of the song and your name to oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six. Give you a couple more listens to it, but remember, you need to be by your phone because we'll call the winner later. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right there. The score on Cork's 96FM. Join me, Trevor Welch, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on another weekend of GA finals and Manchester United, Tottenham, Leeds United and Aston Villa are all in Premier League action. Right here, right there. Join Trevor Welch for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. With Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. Right here, right there. On Cork's 96 FM. Now people were, were joking yesterday. I got, I got into trouble for joking about it on my social media about the schools being closed for two days because of the storms. And, you know, was this a, a, a subtle circuit breaker for Omicron? I was actually. 
actually missing. But I think there's some teachers and principals out there who think it might not be any bad thing to close the schools a little early to stop the spread of COVID because we know that COVID is rampant in the schools. Uh, Michael Daly from Dasheen Boys School. Michael, you wrote to the Minister a couple of weeks ago asking for a number of things. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good. What do you want to do? Well, first of all, I, I just want to say you mentioned there about the schools being closed for the storm, Stormborough. I agreed to come on and talk about this before Stormborough. Excellent. You know? And we'll say some weeks ago, I wrote to the Minister and I said, look, the most important thing is that we want the schools to remain opened. We do not want schools to be closed in January like they were last year. We want the schools open. We want to have the children with us and to support them and their families. That's the most important thing I want to say at the outset. And I'm, this is not a, by way of a complaint or not at all, but this is coming from, from parents and feedback I'm getting from parents sure. who've been very concerned uh, about you know the virus and the spread of the virus. And I suppose we've been told for a long, long time now that schools are safe schools are safe, schools are safe and that's, that's been the narrative all the time and uh, schools have done a remarkable job with the support of families and the children of course have been fantastic and of staff of course but there's been a major change in the last couple of months and um, the, the, school, the, the virus is being spread in schools now and in, in all schools, I've, I'm in contact with schools all over the city and all over the country yeah. and that's the case and something has to be done. It's fair to say, isn't it, Michael, schools are no longer the safe place we thought they were. No, no, absolutely not, no. And I mean, as I say, I don't know, I'm not a scientist, (laughs) but um, I wrote to the minister a couple of weeks ago based on feedback I was getting from from parents, based on feedback I was getting from the children and from staff. And the first thing I asked for was HEPA filters in classrooms, that we needed something more than what we were getting. And I suppose at primary level, people have to remember, you know, we've been working with with, uh, the children. The children haven't been wearing masks up till now. Uh, they're not vaccinated, and I'm not saying I'm not saying here whether they should or they shouldn't be, but that's that's the reality. And I suppose there are very few groups in that situation. And I suppose children have been spreading it to other children. Children are spreading it to staff, and uh, something has to be done. So I asked for the first thing was HEPA filters. The second thing, I suppose, everybody has been hearing in the media that there's been a substitute crisis, and that's that is the, the reality. There has been a substitute crisis. So I suggested to the minister that they would relax what's called the five-day rule. The five-day rule is, we'll say, for people who are in fourth year in B.Ed. studies, Mary I, St. Pat's, whatever, uh, that they, they're actually free for December and January, and they, could, they have been helping us to try and get through this crisis. But there's, a, there's a, a situation called the five-day rule where somebody in that situation who's been studying education for the last four years, they can only work for five days, and then they have to take a day off. Right. And then they come back on again, and it's highly disruptive. I mean, is that a kind of a health and safety thing, or what? No, it's it's some, it's because they can't get a teaching council number. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but yes, somebody, for example, who has done done a three year degree in it could be anything, it could be tourism or totally unrelated to education, they can come in, get a teaching council number straight away because they have a degree, and they can they they're not subject to the five year rule, but they mightn't have any experience in the classroom. Whereas somebody who has you know, in their fourth year of studies, in their subject to the five day rule. So anyway, that was something I suggested, but it wasn't taken on board. I suggested that actually last October, mm. and it wasn't taken on board. And the final thing was about closing the schools on Friday the seventeenth of December and not coming back for the, the two or three days of the final week, right up to Christmas. You did break up anyway, isn't it, on the twenty second or twenty third? Twenty second. Twenty second. We did break up on the twenty second, right. but that that is very very close to Christmas. And I suppose 
I'm, I'm, the reason I'm thinking of this again, and, and not just me, a lot of people are talking about this. I, I suppose I, I've been asked to go in and talk about it, but um, last Christmas, or last December, I wrote to the Minister and I suggested that we would schools would close on Friday the 18th of December and not to come in for the, for the two days um, of the following week. Because, first of all, I was concerned that people wouldn't be able to spend Christmas with their families. Yeah. And I'm talking, like, this, this I'm getting, I've been hearing that so many times over and over again. They're concerned about elderly relatives that they were going to hopefully spend Christmas with. But, I mean, we all have, you know, people who are vulnerable. When my own mother, I mean, last Christmas, I was, I was thinking of her, you know, that I, I was going to be involved in her care team. Yes. Uh, because carers are off over Christmas and I was saying what if I get COVID I won't be able to you know in the, in the last day or two I won't be able to spend time and I also said to the minister and I didn't really think this would happen I said to the minister last Christmas or last December that I didn't want to be getting phone calls from contact tracing on Christmas morning when I was finally supposed to be off with my family and yes. that is exactly what happened I got a phone call and contact tracing were looking for me HSC were looking for me on Christmas morning last year oh, you know so I'm, and I'm not please I'm not complaining I mean, I'm happy. Oh God, to do, no, you're not. But, you're saying, but no, nobody wants that phone call. No, but and I suppose you know, I suppose it's, it's at the moment really schools are on alert all the time, and I suppose particularly I have to say primary level because primary level, and we, again, you know, it's so important to have the children in front of us. It's so important to have the children in school. That's what we want, and this is what this is all about, and it's about a circuit breaker. I mean, you mentioned circuit breaker just before I came on there. That's what this is about. Trying to see if we can if we can do something to to break the circuit yeah. of infection that's in, on in schools at the moment. So you'd like to you'd like to finish up on the seventeenth, and then for the you, children for the children for the children, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you're due back. Uh, the classes are due back on the sixth of January. On the sixth, and we want to be back on the sixth of January. Okay, you don't want to hold on until the, until the tenth, as well, some no, have we, suggested. No, uh, no. Having said that, I mean, I, we have to see what way things are. I'm more than happy to come back on the sixth. Uh, I mean, I suppose that's another option, and that's what happened last year. And we last year, I know. And again, I'm saying all of this in the, in the context that I know this is a very, very difficult time to be to be trying to run the country and trying to be minister of education. You know, and I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of hurlers in the ditch who will give the minister different uh, pieces of advice. But I suppose this is something that I feel on the ground, something that I'm hearing from from parents. And I mean, staff are concerned as well. You know, people have elderly relatives and people have young children that, that they want to be with at Christmas. And you know, it's 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 all it's up it's it's very much I suppose you know in the lap of the gods at the moment. We don't know what's going to happen, but mm. I do feel that if we if we if schools close, I mean, as I say, if this has to be online learning for the last two days, I have no problem with that. We staff it's not about the staff getting two days holidays or whatever. That's not what this is about. Staff can be in school doing planning and or, or doing planning remotely or whatever, and there's plenty of work to be done and plenty of work to plan for the year ahead or for the uh, for the new year. But you know, it's 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 that, like that's not what this is about. This is about keeping people safe. It's about breaking the the, the circuit of of infection that's going on in schools at the moment. That's yeah. what it's about. Okay. Okay. And you have. You had any response back from the minister's office? Just an acknowledgement. But, uh, you know, I suppose, look, I know I'm sure she probably gets thousands of emails every day, but I, I did email, I have, I mean, I have emailed, and I suppose just, I suppose just to give the benefit of, 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 of advice from the ground, really, you know, because I suppose it's important that the minister is kept informed of, of um, the situation on the ground. And at any time I've ever emailed the minister, it isn't by way of complaint, it's by way of, of feedback. And um, and I just felt this was something that was, and as I say, this was weeks ago. I, I thought about this because when I saw the way things were going in schools, and not not 
you know, just one or two schools. It's all schools at the moment. Every school I'm talking to, I'm liaising with a lot of principals, <clears throat> and it's the same right, th- right across the, the city and right across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, they're saying, that I re- heard last night that one in five of the cases in the last fortnight has been in children in the right. 5 to 11-year-old. I, I'd, I'd actually speculate it could be higher than that. Michael, uh, just as a, as a final question on that, um, d- we were told for months and months that schools were safe. Do you feel misled? I don't feel misled. I feel I feel people weren't listening, I, and I don't think. And I think when when people said that the schools were safe, they genuinely believed that they were safe. I, I don't think that there was anybody trying to mislead anybody. But I suppose it really is only when you're on the ground and you're seeing situations. There, there was actually a letter on uh, on a Sunday newspaper some weeks ago. Well, it was about six weeks ago now. And that was the first, I think that was the turning point mm. where a, an acting principal from somewhere up the country, it was an anonymous letter, but an, an acting principal um, said that, you know, that, that, that they, she could actually, she was t- saying about the virus being spread in schools and that she she was getting onto the HSE and getting onto the department and she was being told, nonsense, you don't know what you're talking about. And why would you say that? And she was saying <coughs> she could go into a classroom and she could see the, the virus spreading around the table of, you know, let's say you have maybe four or five pods and you could see it spreading around one pod. Yeah. And the next day, the next child is out. And the next day, the next child is out. And and then the next day, the teacher is out because the teacher is beside them. You know, and this is what the letter said. And, and I just said, finally, I was reading something and I was saying, somebody's listening. Somebody's, somebody else is having the same experiences as we're all having. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a turning point. And okay. uh, I, I think that letter uh, finally you know, something happened, but something happened as well with the numbers, and I think maybe the, the numbers coming through and the people being tested and people um, being positive, I think positive uh, PCR tests, the number of positive PCR tests in children in the 5 to 11, 5 to 12 year old group was startling, and I think that that proved that, and, I, and as I say, I don't think anybody was deliberately misleading, there was no question of that, okay. they just okay. weren't listening. Well, that's, that, that, that's a very very fair and, and well thought out comment. Thank you Michael. Michael Daly from Glasheen Boys School. How would people feel about that? Just finish school on the 17th of December. The teachers will go in, maybe teach on Zoom or what do they call it? Blackboard or something they use. They have some system. Maybe teach on that system for a couple of days before Christmas. But finish the actual physical schooling on the 17th of December. How would people feel about it? The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996-996
a disgusting individual and, and there are no words to describe the hideous things that Kieran Craven did. He was jailed for 10 years in the last number of days. He worked in RTE for many, many years. He was a highly respected television sports producer, considered to be extraordinarily good at his job. Popular with his workmates. All of those things. Tracy Piggott was interviewed on one of the news programmes the other night, the horse racing commentator, and she knew him well. And she said, my, there was never a sign, there was never a hint, there was never any anything off about Kieran Craven. And yet he was abusing children in the most awful way all over the world. He was using his position, travelling all over the world. And quite a sickening, sickening story. But... It, it raises a whole conversation about how these things are investigated, how these things, how these people, these individuals, hide in plain sight. And is it possible for someone to spot danger signs? You know, can we as ordinary individuals working around other people, can we spot red flags? Are there red flags that we can spot? And also, in the investigation of crime, and there were some great articles written about the detail uh, that uh, the Gardaí and police in Britain worked incredibly closely together on putting the case against uh, Craven and, and, and on all that. But criminologist Patrick Tidmarsh has written and teaches extensively around the world on the investigation of sex crimes, just like this, all sorts of sex crimes. And he proposes, proposes and has written about a new way of investigating, which he calls the whole story method. And I want to discuss things like hiding in plain sight and many other elements of it uh, with Patrick Titchmarsh. He, di- he joins me now from Australia. There may be a slight delay on the line, so we'll bear with it. But uh, Patrick Titchmarsh, good evening in your part of the world. Good morning from Cork. Hey, good morning to you, PJ. Thanks for having me. Good to speak with you. Before I get into, and I'm, we sent you some stuff to read about with regard to Kieran Craven, so you're you're familiar with the case. But talk to me about your whole story method. What what is it exactly? Sure. Um, so the way we traditionally uh, investigated sex crimes, whether they were against adults or children, is that we had to prove that a particular event took place or an act. Uh, took place so you can charge someone with an act. And so all their um, time and energy went into trying to prove that 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 happened. And as we know, most people know their abusers. Most offending happens in secret. I mean, you were talking before in your introduction about um, his colleague not knowing anything about him or anything that took took place. So, And you talked about people hiding in plain sight. So um, most of what happens is in secret. There are not witnesses. There's not CCTV. If there's forensic evidence, it might be hard to find or, or it might not prove that an act was non-consensual, for example. So what we said in the way we wanted to change it is actually this is a relationship-based crime. These crimes are happening in acquaintance relationships, intimate relationships, are very closely associated with family violence. You often find where there's family violence and sexual abuse. And so this is a relationship-based crime. We ought to be investigating the entire relationship. And so what comes up from that is you see how he operated, what he did and how he did it. So we teach our investigators the psychology of offenders, what they do, the way they think about it, the way they see the world. 
and then obviously what impact they have on the people that they abuse so that they in effect they need to know him and who he is so they can hear her when she comes in and tells her story and often people are confused by um, myths and misconceptions you know why does someone stay in that relationship why did the boy keep going around to his house you know um and and so the answers to those questions are generally in the relationship and most of them are actually in the phase before the offense itself actually mm. takes place the, the, the grooming right. process which i think you point out you read pains to point it out patrick grooming is a non-sexual process and that's and, well, and that and, yeah sorry do go on p I, the, the I, grooming I is a non-sexual right. process for the most part that's exactly right. So, so I think when we first started working with our specialist crime, sexual crime investigators here, they they all knew what grooming was. We all know what grooming is, but we tend to see it as the sexual phase of the relationship, whether it's, you know, uh, in abusing children, introducing them to uh, ideas and images about sex, perhaps, or in rape and sexual assault, um, um, where um, they will use particular different strategies. Uh, but actually, the non-sexual phase that takes place before is is really the most important because offenders target vulnerability. And if they can't see vulnerability, they'll create vulnerability. And once they do that, what they're really looking for is power and control and, and isolation from any kind of help, you know, any um, other parent that might be around or any mate who's out on a night, you know, in the club. Um, so they're looking for that power and that control and that isolation before they will then move into a more sexualized phase. And, and I'm kind of making it sound really deliberate, um, but sometimes it's deliberate. Sometimes it's much, much more subtle than that. So in, in adult cases of rape and sexual assault, you know, grooming can often look like, you know, there's buying someone a drink and that's a nice gesture. And there's buying someone a drink because you're putting a double or a triple in it because you're moving towards that power and control and incapacitation uh, element. So it's quite hard to pick that. But once you look at the entire relationship from the moment people know each other um, to the moment that the person comes in and says, this is what happens to me, you find a whole lot of relevant evidence comes up in that story that our investigators didn't really see before. And I was just talking and doing some training with some UK coppers um, last night and one of them was telling me about a story um, and a witness uh, to the event that had taken place. They didn't witness the sexual element of it, but they witnessed the power and control and authority element. And they didn't, this was a child actually, child witness, they didn't even really know what it was that they were witnessing, but it was a key piece of relevant evidence that showed that the aspects of the story she was saying were absolutely corroborated, even though no one witnessed the event itself. Okay. So we're talking about moving to get, before we make our judgments, before we get caught on myths and misconceptions, know him so you can listen to her and hear everything that she's saying about what's taken place from the moment they met to the moment you met her as an investigator. Yeah. Are there myths that we carry around with us, all of us, not just investigators and, and police officers? Are there yes. myths that we carry around in our minds about sex and consent and, and all those things? Absolutely. We, we all do. And um, actually, just before coming on here, I was remembering there's a study in um, from Northern Ireland, actually, from about 10 years ago, McGee uh, um, and her colleagues. And she found she presented hundreds of potential jurors with a range of myths and misconceptions about sexual assault and rape. There were adult sexual assault and rape myths and misconceptions. And she found that 50 percent of the myths and misconceptions were supported 
by one in five of the people that she asked. So 20% of the group. And some of them were supported by 40% of the group. So when you think about what has to happen in a court of law, that you need to take 12 people to understand a story beyond any doubt, not one doubt, those myths and misconceptions really count. And there's kind of three phases where they really impact. Um, Because you wrote in the notes you sent to me, you were talking about attrition and policing. And police are often criticised because um, when cases are reported, most of, of, of them fall out at the policing phase, That's then right. some in the prosecutorial phase, and then, you know, uh, sexual crimes, your listeners need to know, that have the lowest conviction rates of any interpersonal crime. But actually, the biggest attrition is people who don't report, who never tell their story. So only about half of rape victims will ever tell anybody. Uh, only about one in eight will report. Children report even less than that. If you have a disability or you're from some other minority group uh, from the queer community, you're much less likely to report. And, and the main reason that people don't um, are fear of judgment. I mean, it might be fear of the perpetrator. There might be much more concrete fears than that. But by and large, they're afraid of us and what we think and the judgments we'll make of them and their stories. So these myths and misconceptions really count. Um, And if I can give you some of them for an example, there was a great study done a few years ago where researchers looked at 50 rape cases from the 1950s um, and matched cases in the 2000s. And the question they asked was, do defence counsel do anything differently now than they were doing 60 years ago? Mm. And I'm sure you won't be surprised to know that the answer was, no, they're pretty much doing exactly the same thing. But the devil was in the detail here because um, back in the 50s, they were running myths and misconceptions about, well, look, he's a really nice guy and he wouldn't do a thing like that. Or, um, well, if she was a woman of virtue, she would have resisted, so she would have been physically injured and there weren't any injuries, so perhaps this isn't true. Now, you can't get away with that today. I mean, maybe you can in places, but you can't get away with that sort of nonsense anymore. And you can't ask about people's sexual histories in the same way and do, you know, what's now known as slut shaming. Um, But in the 2000s, so they're not using those tactics anymore, but they're looking at others, like uh, why was there a delay in reporting? Why did she continue in a relationship with him? Uh, Why are there memory issues here? So they're deliberately misleading people about traumatic memory and what trauma does Mm -hmm. to the memory. Um, And so the tactic is still there to to create that doubt by using a myth and a misconception uh, about crime. And that's why people don't report. And that's why police, you know, find it hard to have enough evidence to um, the phrase, the key phrase is mm. here is, is there a reasonable prospect of conviction? Yeah. And when you look at what we as a community still think about this and how difficult it is to prosecute that, that's actually quite a hard question to look at a story and go, yes, I think we have a reasonable prospect here. Yeah. You make yeah. a point as well that when you actually do get a perpetrator in front of you as an investigator, they yeah. don't actually lie very much. That's a weird one. Oh, that is a weird one. And I, I need to go back and look at the way I wrote that because they do lie. They lie all the time. And they're very skilled liars. That's probably it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and and thinking about the way they hide in plain sight, as you say, the way they wear masks. You know, they can be incredibly skilled at it. But the point I'm talking about in the book is really when we come to interview them as suspects in a of a crime suspected of a crime that the traditional way of interviewing was often quite aggressive and threatening and 
And look, to be honest, none of us likes to be treated like that. And most of us want to be listened to and understood. And so one of the things that's difficult in the specialism of sexual crime investigation is you're going to work with people who've done things you find abhorrent. I mean, I could hear the tone of your voice, PJ, when you were talking about this uh, this guy uh, from RTE. Yeah. Hear the, the fury in, in your tone. And it's a human response, though. Patrick. It's a very human response, but but our job as investigators when we're working on cases is to help victims. And the way that we do that is by challenging him with her story so that we hear his story. And you can't hear someone's story very well if you're intimidating and threatening. So, so we teach them to put their own feelings aside in a way and, and try and tap that part of him that wants to be understood and wants to explain himself. And it, it's really not easy to do. Not everybody is suited to this work because mm. you're going to be sitting across the table from people that you really find um, appalling, um, but it works. And you'd be amazed what people say when they feel understood, when they think this, I'm, I can tell my story to this person, uh, even when they know what the consequences will be. You know, they'll go to jail, they might lose their family, whatever it is. You know, that urge to be understood, we call it in the training, tapping their desire to explain. Um, and it works really well. And it's a much better technique than the ones that most people see on telly of, you know, uh, leaning over people or throwing them up against the wall and that sort of thing. Uh, that really doesn't happen anymore. And it certainly doesn't happen in the special sexual crime area. Yeah, yeah. Very quiet, very calm investigation, almost as if you're trying to unpick a lock. Exactly. That's exactly right. And you need and you need to know the story and every single piece of evidence you've got. And you need to put it to him to try and encourage him to tell his story, because when people tell their stories, they make mistakes. Mm. You see, there's a kind of another human response to it is, well, you hurt that little girl or you hurt that little boy. We don't care. We just want to slam you in jail. Yes. Well, the way you might get to do that um, is by, first of all, making sure that anyone who, who wants to report, we need to encourage reporting. We need to let people know that we get this how this works and bring people forward um, to tell their story so that's the most important thing but once we are investigating if we do it well and we get to talk to him and challenge him and ask his view about what took place you really got to get him talking um, and you can't do that with the old traditional methods and, um, sounds, sounds to me like we need highly trained specialist detectives and I would suggest social service workers for this yeah it's funny you should say that because actually um Social service workers make very good interviewers because they're good listeners. And, and you will know in your business that it's a listening business, right? Interviewing is a listening business. And, and that's not really ever been seen traditionally in police forces that it was the interviewing was about listening. It was seen to be about asking questions. Um, actually, you know, the answers are much more important than the questions. Okay. Yeah. Now, let, let's talk a little bit, if we could, uh, Patrick, at the time we have remaining, about the thing that I brought up in my introduction, and that is the hiding in plain sight. Now, yeah. you you believe that there are a few common traits that are flags. And, and do you believe that most of us can pick up on this? Um, well, the traits that I explore um, in that article, they're actually from from some researchers in, in New Zealand, Tony Ward um, and Tom Keenan, Devin Polishek and others. So, so implicit theory, uh, the reason it's in the article is I've been teaching it to, to police for quite some time and it's part of what we were talking about before of getting them to understand who they're sitting across the table from. Who is he? 
uh, how does he see the world and how do you engage with him? Um, and so, so the, the traits, the traits are, um, that they find adult relationships difficult to navigate. Now, imagine when you're talking about the fellow that you're talking about, um, he was probably looked as if he was very good at that. He was probably very skilled at and charming, uh, and, uh, seemed as if his life, um, was going fine, but underneath that, he would not have felt able to cope in mature uh, adult relationships. That's why these men um, go towards children and they say things like, well, children understand me, you know, um, and what they really mean is I can control that relationship. I feel in charge in that relationship and that feels safer to me. So in, in rapists, you see a slightly different version where they might talk about how difficult it is to know women. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And, and, you know, it's an impossible task and so on. So, so you see this idea of they're not coping in, in these adult relationships. So they find some justification for why they're choosing to behave in an abusive way. And then do you, do you want me to say what the other four are, PJ? Would Please, briefly, if you could, yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah. So, so briefly, um, the second one is what's known as uncontrollability, which is basically the idea that it's not my fault. I can't help it. You know, I was drinking or using pornography or whatever it was. Um, the third one is entitlement, and I, I always think at that point, then if if you want to understand what entitlement is watch the tape of Donald Trump on the bus in the way that he talks about women, you know, and when you're rich and famous, do this, you know, and, and I can grab them there and I can kiss them and I know they don't want it, but I do it anyway. So you get that sense that if I feel that way, I should be allowed to do it. And those three together, you know, not coping in adult relationships, um, not taking responsibility and feeling entitled to behave in the way that makes you feel good is a kind of, you, you know, core problem for all um, lots of offenders. But then in the last two, you get, the ability um, in the guy that you're talking about, the ability to objectify children and justify that to yourself. Um, and I think 
Um, as an aside, I don't think we're quite as clear as a community as we could be about how much we still objectify children. Certainly in the world online, there is a huge amount of objectification of children and young people there, um, which sex offenders will use to say, well, there's lots of other people doing it. It can't be that bad. Yeah. Um, but, you know, most of us see the nonsense of that, but sex offenders will use it to their advantage. And the last one, which is really, I think, the most important, is called nature of harm. And that's the way they minimise the damage. You know, they say, well, she was too young to understand or, uh, well, she she hasn't told on me, so it can't been that bad or, you know, he kept coming round or whatever it is. They, they are very skilled at lying to themselves about the impact of their behaviour. Um, and the other answer to your question is, a lot of that might be might remain hidden. Um, and although his colleague said, I never saw any of it, you know, I bet you, PJ, somebody did. Somebody knew. Somebody always knows. Somebody always sees um, the way he is, a particular comment. But what we tend to do as people is we put that comment out of our mind and we say, oh, well, that was just a one-off or that was, you know, just a problem that he had there. Or maybe we don't realise the impact of that comment. Absolutely. And then when there's another comment, we see that as an individual comment and we don't begin to piece these things together. I mean, you think about some of the well-known Rolf Harris, for example, or Jimmy Savile or clearly uh, uh, Mr. Craven. Um, People knew. They they knew. But they may not have known how to put what they knew together in a pattern (laughs) and they may not have known who to tell or how to tell. They didn't know what they were looking at. Yeah, yeah. I think we're becoming more aware. I think we're becoming more aware around children. And in fact, Ireland has come up with some fantastic, you know, studies and commissions that have really led the world in child protection measures. Um, But I think when it comes to rape and sexual assault, we're quite a long way behind seeing, and we're just beginning in the last few years to see the impact, Mm. um, how much sexual harassment, how much rape and sexual assault there is in our communities, and how difficult it is for people to report and how hard it is for them to move through an adversarial justice system. So we need to look at other measures. Uh, And my bit of this little puzzle is to help specialist sexual crime investigators understand what they're listening to uh, by knowing the offenders and being able to listen to the people that come forward with their stories. Lastly, Patrick, um, as you know yourself, offenders post-prison, they are monitored in the community by social services in particular, but also by police. Is there such a thing? any such a thing as a one-time offender? Like, can you ever take somebody off the radar after they have transgressed once? Well, I think the short answer to that is if the vulnerabilities were there that led them to behave in that way, that they did not manage themselves and control their behaviour and took it out on other people, then some element of risk will always remain. And because there are so many of them, I mean, this is happening to one in five girls, one in 12 boys, uh, one in five women and one in 20 men. There is a huge amount of offending in our culture. You know, you simply cannot manage all of those people and all of that risk. So we divide them into low and medium and high risk and we manage them in different ways. And and again, you know, Ireland and the UK and Canada and other places very good at monitoring um, people out in the community. And having said all that, there are plenty of men who desist and and young men because 20% of sex offences are committed by adolescents. So there's plenty of adolescents who finish offending when they get into adulthood, just as if they would for other kinds of crimes. Uh, And there are certainly men, particularly if they've gone through uh, and completed 
a good treatment program and are well monitored in the first two to five years after that program, you know, the risks reduce significantly. But I think most of us who've been in that field, because I worked in treatment before I moved to policing, would say there's never any, there's, there's no such thing as no risk. There's just low, medium, high, you know, and different ways of managing that risk. All right, listen, it's been a pleasure to spend some time speaking with you and uh, your book is available in Waterstones, which means people can pick it up and and read further. Thank you for being with us from Australia. That is uh, criminologist Patrick Tidmarsh. Uh, His book is called The Whole Story, Investigating Sexual Crime, Truth, Lies and the Path to Justice. Uh, Thank you, Patrick, for being with us. Cheers. 1850-715-996. I know that was a difficult maybe 20 minutes, but an important one in the wake of the Kieran Craven story. And I think the takeaway for me from that particular conversation was that when someone says we never saw it, we never saw or heard or suspected anything, maybe that's because you didn't know what you were looking at. 1850-715-996-FM. Want to go to Gatwick Airport briefly. Um, Father Liam Kelleher. Good morning, Liam. Good morning, PJ. You're stuck there. Why? Well, yesterday I came to the airport to get my flight back to Cork and I thought I had every documentation I needed and I was assured because I was here on compassionate grounds when my sister had passed away and everybody assured me with my vaccine being vaccinated and having uh, the PCR test done the day before I had a certificate I'd have no problem but I met a blank wall and no way would they let me out and the flight was delayed for about an hour and a half and then they sent me down to uh, to get the test and there was some glitch and it took me I gave up after an hour and a half mm. then they brought me to the another place where I ordered one there and I put it do the test myself it took about a minute and a lady was on WhatsApp watching me seeing I did it right and then that I got the okay, okay. but then I, I wanted to get back to Ireland so I missed two flights to Dublin so I said the only thing is to wait for the cock sure. flight uh, today at 11 and I'm still waiting for the gate to open okay. come, come back to me on the feet you, you got the PCR Liam you got the PCR before you went to the airport as we're told you had to do and and did did you get a printout well not that? really I did it for another I did it for another reason I was calling to care home down in Dover to visit who's uh, very ill uh, my sister who had passed away her husband and uh, I just got it you know they wanted to in without it and it was all so okay so I I presumed, and again, basically it was my own fault, I should have checked it, and that's why I'm talking to you now, because people should be very, very careful to make sure they have an authentic uh, certificate of the test before they even ever go to the airport, because there's glitches all over the place yeah. here. And no, the bit I'm not there. understanding slightly, maybe I'm, maybe, is why was the test you had had before you went to the care home, why did they not accept that at the airport? Well, I had no, I had no uh, 
notification of it. You'd not print out. Basically it. You'd not print out. Yeah, okay. that was it. I see. I see. Uh, so it was an NHS test, was it? It was only in, in only one that, yeah. that, that they would do at the, at the home. I but have again, you. Again, in the circumstance I was here, uh, people told me, and I read it online, that if you're kind of an essential worker or okay. on compassionate leave or whatever, that there wouldn't be a problem, but there was. So anyway, hopefully you'll make that flight at, at 11 and, and save home to Cove. Uh, that's uh, Father Liam Kelleher. If you are going to an airport anywhere in the world, make sure you have your documents, make sure you check the documents you're supposed to have. And there are any number of apps now where you can check the documents that you're supposed to have. We all thought that just being fully vaccinated would be enough. We'd have our cert, we'd have our barcode and all that. But now with Omicron in the game, it's not. And we're back to having to get test results. Thank you for that, Father Liam. 1850-715-996. Can we remind you quickly that they're still taking Santa call entries with KC and Ross in the morning on Cork's 96FM for your chance to get a call from Santa in the North Pole. Simply go to 96FM.ie right now, this very minute, and fill out the form. Uh, the Santa Call is brought to you by McCarthy's Interiors and Gift Shop, Douglas and Ballancolic Shopping Centre. Call now for festive bedding, gifts and decor. See mccarthys.ie and stay listening because we could be calling you on Cork's 96FM. 1850-715-996. Now, AWARE is one of the best-known mental health charities in Ireland. And they have done some research and they have identified... Look, I think we could have seen it written large in big letters. Um, a major psychological impact of the pandemic, COVID-19, on the Irish uh, population. And that when we tried to stay positive, when we focused on compassion, empathy and gratitude, it was good for us. Remember we said so many times, taking joy in little things. Uh, their research has shown that, that actually was very valuable advice. Stephen McBride joins me from AWARE. Stephen, good morning. Hello, good Hi. morning, PJ. Hi, Stephen. I, I don't think we needed... Uh, it, it was out there, writ large, that this was having a huge effect on people's mental health, but your research has proven it. Yes, we, we, we had we found some really rich perspectives and a fascinating insight into, as you say, over 500 people's uh, thoughts. We, we explored their thoughts about themselves, other people in their uh, family and social circles and the world at a time of, of those heightened, the most heightened restrictions um, last winter between December 2020 and February 2021 when this study took place. Uh, and in exploring the thoughts, what we found was that the results highlighted the significant psychological impact of the pandemic on them and both groups. You know, so what we did was in that we measured people to see if people were experiencing depression and other people who weren't. So both groups. So we identified two groups, people with depression and people without. And both groups uh, had equal levels of of negative or unhealthy thoughts about themselves, others and the world as is perfectly appropriate and normal at this time of, of a global threat to our mm. health, social and, and economic lives. So mm. it was very interesting what we also found, and, and this is something you, you mentioned earlier on, PJ, was uh, aspects of, of joy or people could bring in the positive. People without depression, without the diagnosis of depression, 
could bring in uh, positive aspects of of the world or yeah. the ability to put things into perspective a little bit and to find gratitude. An observation that I used to make uh, during the bad days of lockdown, Stephen. You know, I'm a I'm a person who, and I consider myself incredibly lucky. I, I have robustly sound mental health. I'm very. I always have, and and I'm so privileged to be able to say that. Yeah. But there were days in the, in the worst of the lockdowns when I used to stand at the window and go, is this our life now? And I identified yeah. it as feeling horribly flat. And I used yeah. to think, Christ, if I'm feeling like this, what does someone who actually does struggle, how are they feeling? And this survey shows they had a really bad time. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, TJ. And, and not only a person who has uh, symptoms and a diagnosis of depression experiencing that in and of itself, but being compounded on by the, the restrictions that we lived through in, in that the height of the, of the pandemic last winter. So that would have, as I say, compounded the, the symptoms they were experiencing because of, as, as I said a little minute ago, the, the struggle to bring in yeah. uh, aspects of joy in their lives or to connect to something positive or to develop some uh, more compassionate thoughts about themselves and others. So that left people uh, feeling in limbo, as, as a few of our participants in the survey said, or mm. I feel stuck, you know, a person accounted for in some of the feedback. Yeah. There's not much to do. Another person said, my life is in suspended animation. And this speaks to the, the really rich uh, uh, feedback that we got from people uh, when they were asked about their thoughts about themselves and, and other people and the world uh, last winter time in, in the height of the restrictions. Do you get any evidence from the survey, Stephen, that suggests long-term damage? Well, I suppose we, we, we have an attitude in AWARE where we're, we're very much focused on people's ability to recover and to develop and to, uh, to develop their mental health and, and to recover from depression. So in the support and, 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 and education that we provide to people, we're very much about protecting and promoting uh, people's mental health. So I suppose that that's a different answer to your question. So we do believe that there, there is hope there and that our support and educational uh, services can provide that to people who are experiencing depression right around the country. Mm. You talk about positive psychology. I, I, I used to call it, um, a very Lamanese term, taking joy from small mm. things. Mm. Um, people really did try to do that. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So when people were able to find that joy in, in the small kind of seemingly uh, insignificant aspects of life, but actually they are really significant, you know, whether it was a phone call to a loved one, you know, some person who was talking about that in, in the feedback suggested that positivity came from a regular call to a, a close friend at the same time, uh, day in, day out over that two or three month period. And that gave them a purpose and a sense of meaning in their day which is seemingly insignificant, but actually is very significant and was to that person themselves. You know, so that aspect of reaching out and connecting, you know, we're, we're, we're social beings, we're, we're born to relate with one another. And I, I think that aspect of it really fueled some positivity for people. And other aspects of it, I suppose, as well, that had personal uh, resonance for people, you know, that they could connect to whether it was going for a short walk or what, whatever people could uh, in, engage in, you know, um, listening to podcasts, people talked about. So a variety of different things that people identified kind of sparked some positivity internally and, as you say, created that sense of joy.
Now, you have a free support line seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. The number 1-800-80-4848. You have a Christmas appeal going on at the moment, which I assume is to support the work of that line and your work in general. Exactly, exactly, PJ. So the Christmas appeal is, you know, three quarters of all our funding. So for every four euro we uh, we spend, you know, th- three of it comes from from public donations, you know, and, and we get one quarter of our funding from from the the state. So we really rely on the generosity of the public to donate for further uh, development of our programmes and to offer support as far and wide as we can to, to the people of Ireland who are experiencing uh, depression, bipolar disorder and other uh, mood disorders. Mm. Looking ahead, and we've been saying since day one, Stephen, and I cling to it, like I cling to the last mm. breath of my body, this will end, we will get out of this. Do you think that people will be able to recover from the damage of the pandemic? I, I do indeed, PJ, you know, so the, the, the individual uh, aspect of that recovery, you know, we, we very much espouse that message that people can recover and develop and uh, frame things about people protecting their mental health and, and developing that through some of the tools and techniques that we offer within our services. So I, I think it's very much a, a message of support and positivity, while, while also not uh, neglecting the, the, the difficulties and experiences of depression that people have. Yet recovery is possible. And the first step in that at times is just reaching out to whether it's an aware support service, a friend, a GP, to initiate that conversation with another person, a loved one, a family member, to say that I'm experiencing this or I'm struggling with that. So that uh, that starts a journey of of, of developing a, a sense of, of emotional well-being. Sure. All right, Steve McBride, or McBride, rather, thank you for being with us today on the Opinion Line. Aware's support line open seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. 1-800-80-4848. If you're suffering from depression, bipolar, any other emotionally related conditions, you can call that number. And a full list of Aware services available at their website, aware.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Mayor, I forgot to give you a twist last hour on the Elton John song for our Aiken Promotions giveaway with two tickets every day this week to go to see Elton at Parky Cueve on the 1st of July 2022. Two tickets from Aiken Promotions. You need to guess the name of the song. Give you one more twist before we finish, but your name and the name of the song to 083-396-9696 and be by your phone because we call the winner. I wonder if anybody can help with this. Uh, Does anybody know where a listener would get their hands on a rainbow high Avery Styles doll and fashion studio? I'll read that out again. A rainbow High Avery Styles Doll and Fashion Studio. Out of stock everywhere, but listener is eager to get her hands on one in time for Christmas. Does anybody know where that might... This happens every... There's always one toy or one thing that is out everywhere and Santa's elves are doing their best to get their hands on one 
or a listener needs one for something. So if anyone can do that or knows anything about where we might pick that up, it's out of stock in Smith's Rainbow High Avery Styles Doll and Fashion Studio. It's beyond me. I don't even know what it is, but if you if you can help, then you know where we are. 1850-715-996. Tons more of stuff to get to, but I want to go to Stuak. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Stuak into the home of the Sarles, where the lights are famous on the on the on on the house. Tim, good morning. How are we doing, PJ? How are you? Good. The usual big display, a labour of love. How much work goes into it? Uh, well, there's a couple of weekends working. Yeah. Three or four weekends, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You did these all cold, yourself? It was, cold enough. It, was, it, it was cold enough now this year, to be honest with you. I'd say it was. I'd say it was. Um, yeah, well, I must admit now, when my uh, my oldest my eldest girl helped me a lot this year. She's she's nearly 12, so... Yeah. It's um, so it's it's time to come out into the call and help. <laughs> excellent, excellent, and uh, so you you do this for for charity, and it's for the Mercy Foundation this year. Why is that? Yeah, it's for the it's for the Mercy. Um, well, my father lost his battle with cancer in two thousand and fifteen, and you know it's for any any few Bob that can help them along the way. You know, um, it's for the it's for the cancer appeal and the Mercy. Yeah, the oncology ward. Um, they were, they were excellent to him. All the nurses and doctors, and you know the the care they gave him was was second to none. Yeah. Um. So unfortunately, he lost a, a battle with a horrible illness. But um, so they were they were outstanding to him. So yeah, yeah. That's um. That's just the connection we have with with the Mercy now. You know. And of course, we have a very close yeah. connection here. With the mercy, they're good friends yeah. of ours through the Giving for Living Radiothon. So, and our thoughts with you and your family. Ted was his name, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Now, you'll run these lights every day. Is it from five until ten? Yeah, it's five to ten until um, until let's say the first weekend of January, which is the eighth, right. the eighth slash ninth. Okay. So. Um, I think any further than that would be pushing it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a fantastic yeah. picture on you have an I donate page and you want to find I have an I donate page, yeah. yeah. It, it, you can find it I, I donate have it here in front of me and there's a brilliant yeah. uh, the, <laughs> you, there's some work in those lights, lad. Yeah. Well I I've added to the front of the house I've added about five or six hundred feet of lights this year now as well. So yeah. <laughs> There's loads yeah. and loads and loads and loads of rope light there, like it. Yeah, there's a lot of rope lights, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But that's... Um, now, if anybody wants they're to my, find... They're my, um, they're my Christmas presents now. Most people, that's what they buy me for Christmas is decorations and rope lights. And, excellent, so, excellent. Now, the, the, be, the so best way to find the house, because um, it, it's out in the country, is the air code. So give us the air code and people can put that into their sat nav or into their phones so they can come out and find you. What's the air code out there? Yeah, well, the air code is P32, P for Peter. Yeah. And it's XH36. Um, Okay. Okay. Um, and if if you um if you know the village the village in Stuart village, and it's just um take the road at the side of the church, and 
You'll see the lights. <laughs> you won't miss it for long. Yeah. No. Turn, so if turn, you, do, if you, don't, see, right if you don't see the lights, you should go to Specsavers um, at <laughs> this right. stage, you know. All right. Well, good luck. So. Good luck with it. And and uh, hope that the fundraising goes really well. Open every day from 5 until 10. House lit up. And raising money for the Mercy Hospital Foundation. The air code P32XH. 36 or go into Stoke, a village of Stoke, and turn right at the church. And as he said himself, you'll need to, uh, you, you, you need to go to Specsavers if you can't find. In fact, put it this way if you turn left at the, or right at the church and, and you drive out and you can't see the lights, you probably shouldn't be driving the car. It's lovely, though, to, to pay something forward and give back. And even though they lost uh, their beloved dad. He still feels that credit is due to the wonderful people at the Mercy for what they did and continue to do. Any nice ideas for paying things forward? Even a simple thing. Someone a couple of years ago rang me with a a very, very simple story of they'd been at a counter in a shop and it was, they had, they were literally kind of looking through their pockets for, for coins for a coffee and a biscuit, and they'd forgotten their wallet, right? So they'd got a coffee and a cookie in whatever shop they were in. It doesn't actually matter. And, of course, no wallet, but he might have a few coins in, in, his, in his jacket. And woman next in the queue just said, forget it, I'll get that. That kind of little thing. Little, little kindnesses, little, little paying it forward. She had no idea who the man was, or he had no idea who she was. But he just did it. But there's the Sarrell family uh, giving back for the Mercy Foundation out in Stuark uh, between now and the 8th of January. 1850 Radio research is out and it's really massive. 227,000 people. Listen to Cork's 96 FM and C103 every week. Source JNLR Ipsos MRBI 2021 3. Ooh, I love it when you do it like that. A huge thank you for listening. A huge thank you for listening. Have a happy Christmas and a great new year. Great new year. When you're closer, I love you. From Cork's 96 FM. Hashtag Choose Radio. Talking to Michael Daly out at Glasheen Boys School, and he was making the case he'd written to Minister for Education a couple of weeks ago, making the case that perhaps the schools should close on the 17th of December to give a break to try to, you know, stave off the infection with COVID and give a mini circuit breaker so that they'd close maybe the 17th of December and then go back as scheduled on the 6th of January. I was chatting to Michael about that letter that he wrote. Uh, Mixed reaction to whether it should happen or not. But Deborah says, Mr. Daly has been at the door every morning throughout this pandemic, welcoming each boy uh, by name, giving out hand sanitizer. He's a credit 
to the Department of Education. And when a teacher so dedicated to his pupils speaks from a position of such concern, Norma Foley should listen. And others coming through, like that Fiona says on Twitter, she says, I second that. Two of our sons go to Glasheen. And Mr Daly is speaking from a genuine place of concern. Okay, I spoke to someone during the year about a dress made out of orange peel. It's one of the funniest things I had ever heard about. She made a dress out of orange peel and (laughs) you could smell it before you saw it. And that had been a a junk couture uh, exercise. And the final of Junk Couture 2021 is on tonight and Cork is very well Represented Orla Morris Tulin is the production coordinator. Hi, Orla. Hi, how are you? Good. I remember my daughter and her friends getting involved in this a few years ago when they were in secondary school. It's grown into an enormous event. But tell us about the background. What is junk couture? So that's a very big question. <laughs> but in a nutshell, junk couture, um, it's almost the Olympics for creative kids. What it does essentially is give creative kids a platform to harness their creativity into through the medium of sustainable fashion. So we give students a challenge and say, listen, make an entire runway design out of upcycled, recyclable material and you're going to walk down a catwalk in it. And that's what they do. And we have had designs made of the most bizarre items you'd find in your rubbish bin from trampolines to car seatbelts to like you were saying orange peels there's there's nothing that we haven't seen on the runway so far yeah she, she'd made the entire dress out of collecting orange peel let it dry flatten it out and then she'd painstakingly attach them all together to make a dress like oh yeah they go into intricacy. incredible detail like what kind of things are up there tonight some of the designs are just, there's a design made out of trampoline. Like they took took apart a trampoline and put put it on a design. There's bottle caps, there's melted down plastics, there's rubbish found on their local beaches. There's an entire design made of out of peas, like the food that you're supposed to peas? eat. They decided to put peas, they decided to put it on a design and it is outstandingly good. So the imagination just never, never runs short with Junk Couture. Yeah, with three Cork schools in the final tonight, Cork well, very well represented. Oh, absolutely. We have Kinsale Community School, Sacred Heart Secondary School and Mount St. Michael Secondary School also. The attraction of it, I guess, is what is our junk can be turned in. It, I, it is a whole thing about sustainable fashion and we know that we need to we need to focus more on sustainable and get rid of the fast stuff, but it's fun too. Oh, it is. Absolutely. Like, look, the word climate change is such a big word that sometimes when people hear it, they shy away from it almost. It's such a big problem. They say, how am I supposed to, you know, tackle that? How am I supposed to do my do my hand in um, handling that situation? And this is what John Couture does. They give the opportunity to the, the people who are going to change, change the world, which are the younger people in the generation. Um, and they make it fun. They make it exciting and they bring it into schools and give young people a creative platform to express themselves on and the outcome is just second to none. That's all on television tonight, so big production. Oh, absolutely. It's on tonight on RT2 at 7pm. Okay. Is it live? It's not live. We had to pre-record it this year due to COVID, but it is still as exciting as ever, I promise. So you know who won? I don't. I don't. Oh, don't you? I don't. I don't. 
Ooh. All kept very hush hush. So okay. So even the production coordinator doesn't know who won. Wow. Big, big, big announcement tonight. I was the backstage presenter this year, along with Sean Tracy, another um, a young Irish filmmaker. Uh. So the two of us, the two of us had great fun running around uh, chatting to all the all the designers. Okay, it looks it looks like it. and as I said, I mean, the, 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 I saw an article in the Examiner a week or two ago about it, and the color and the creativity, and you will you will wonder I'm watching it, you will wonder how did they get that pile of rubbish, put their brains to work, and end up getting something they could actually wear to go to a show or go to a, a night out? Like it's incredible. Oh, it really is. Some of the designs walking down, you just wouldn't know they went into their into their bin or into their school rubbish bin and stuck it to their stuck it to their bodies. Essentially, um, it really is so such a credit to all of the students involved. We're looking out particularly for peas and for the trampoline. That's that's the fun of it. Junk couture on tonight. Grand final, uh, Orla Morris Toulon, production coordinator and backstage presenter. And good luck to any of the Cork people involved. Right, let me clear one or two more of our comments from the morning. Yeah, let's go back to yesterday when I was talking to Michelle about angels and how she believes that she communicates with angels. And she was talking to me about white feathers and and robins and, and, and signs, all sorts of, of signs. And I said to her, my missus is a big believer in signs, but I tend to be sort of scientific about these things and I, I maybe I'm wrong and I'm prepared to admit that got a message yesterday I'm just driving to the cemetery and turned on Michelle talking about the angels I bought two mini Christmas trees one for my dad's house and one for my brother's grave as today is his birthday I was parked in the car park waiting for the discussion to finish as I'm a big believer in angels giving us signs I talk to my brother all the time as we were best friends, and we always celebrate our birthdays together. Anyway, as I went to get the tree, one of them was lit up. And genuinely, hand on heart, I did not switch it on. It's made my day, as it's only his second birthday away from town. Today he turned 35. Just thought I'd share that as it brightened up my morning. And we had a lot of people messaging about signs. And maybe there's a lesson to... Fellas like myself to think, you know what, leave the science out of it for a minute. Leave the logic and the sense out of it for a minute. If a person sees something as a sign, then they see it as a sign. And even in the course of yesterday, um, I had a little sign myself. I'm going to, not going to go into the details, it's not important. But I did a little sign myself and I thought, do you know what? That'll do. That'll do. You're all wondering now what happened. Now I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. It's very, it's very, it's very private. Very private. Just on the vaccine for children. With regard to the vaccine, I'm confused about the reasons for vaccinating younger children. Is it to protect them or to protect others? My understanding is younger children, by and large, don't get very sick or don't end up in hospital. And being vaccinated doesn't prevent you from spreading COVID. Well, actually, just looking at CNN on the screen on the other side of the studio a while ago, and they're putting up now, Pfizer have just published some new research with regard to boosters, where they say boosters are giving 90% protection 
uh, presently, once you get your booster, about a week after you get your booster. With regard to the children, they have said that because children's bodies are small and immune response systems are very fast, they believe that the, this is their belief, they believe this is the press release and the Pfizer belief, of course, and Pfizer are making the stuff, so why wouldn't they believe it? They're saying, well, it will prevent an awful lot of children from picking this up and it will make it less transmissible. That's their belief. And the thing about it is we understand that parents are going to worry about this. Parents are going to be concerned about this. And it's a very understandable way to feel. John said, Neffet said schools were safe. No need for children to wear masks. Now they want children wearing masks and vaccinated. It's time for them to go and get some new ideas. Thank you, John. I think a lot of people will think long and hard about this, about what they're going to do. They'll have concerns. When you make a choice for yourself, you make a choice for yourself and you stand by it. And that's your choice. I may not agree with your choice, but it's still your choice. But you're not making this choice for yourself. You're making this choice for your children. And every parent, all they ever want is the best for their children. And all they ever want is to be right about their children. So I can see why people will tease this one around in their head for the next few weeks. So the, the, the plan is that the doses will begin to arrive, small doses will begin to arrive mid-December, next week probably, and maybe even by the end of December. The first doses will be given to children who are very vulnerable or children who live with very vulnerable siblings or very vulnerable adults, and that's how it'll start. The rest of the children then will be called in to clinics. They're talking about specialised clinics, special kid-friendly clinics in January, February. And I'm sure it's something we'll discuss more uh, coming coming closer to that time. But very, we must acknowledge, accept and try to understand the worries of parents here. And I know people will think long and hard about it over Christmas. Come here, tomorrow we're going to have some fun uh, I want you to tell me I Think about it now and then we'll do it tomorrow But what's your all-time favourite Christmas ad? This We did this last year and we had a lot of crack with it uh, The one that came up more and more in terms of radio And, and this, is, this is definitely my favourite There's something about Christmas That's my favourite You know the one You know the one uh, in, in the last couple of days A lot of people were being very nostalgic on social media, including our friend Dr. Niall Conroy in Queensland. If he's listening, uh, Niall, this is your favourite. Yeah. And any particular favourites, we'll, we'll feature a few of them tomorrow. Not all of them, and we won't play them all. But uh, I know that uh, Fiona gets particularly Christmassy when she first sees this on the telly. Now she's off, she's smiling outside. So two weeks tomorrow. It's Christmas Eve, so tomorrow we'll have a bit of fun with your favourite Christmas hats. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now, as we come up to the end of the year and the start of a new year, it's the time when a lot of people that can afford to do it are reconsidering their health insurance. There's two times of the year, generally in mid-January or sort of summertime. Mine comes around in summertime. And in August, after a bit of work and a bit of research, I managed to knock a few quid off of our 
health insurance bill. But it takes a bit of research and it takes a bit of work. But something has happened with VHI. VHI have deleted about a dozen plans, uh, popular plans that were a bit cheaper than others. And it means that a lot of people will face a higher bill in 2022. Dermot Good from Total Health Cover. Dermot, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Anybody I learned over a few years ago, you know, can you can knock a few quid off your health insurance most years if you do a bit of work. But it takes a bit of work and a lot of work with a pen and paper to do it. But what have VHI done now? They've taken, they've taken a lot of plans just out of the system. Yeah, so there's a number of things going on now, PJ, that's going to, I suppose, affect consumers. So, yes, VHI, over the past year, they've retired 25 of their plans, um, which is about a quarter of their plans. Now, they are replacing them with other schemes. But what it means is for those people... Now, the reason why they retire the plans is some of the plans are dated. Um, they, they should be retired, to be honest with you. But some of the plans are actually very good. And, you know, there's one or two surprise plans being retired and they are replacing them with other plans and you are quite right some of the other plans that they're replacing them with uh, they might be slightly dearer um so but whether those consumers like it or not they're going to have to shop around because the plan that they're on is no longer available now to be fair just to reassure people nobody's cover is going to be cancelled there'll be no break in anybody's cover vhi will simply offer you an equivalent plan from their suite of products. If you don't contact them, they will automatically migrate you over to this new plan. So if you do nothing, you're not going to be without cover. But I would say to all of those people, and there's thousands of people now affected by this, uh, PJ, is that now is the opportunity to shop around. And I'll give you an example. VHI are retiring the nurses' plan and the teachers' plans. They were about €1,800 per adult. And they're replacing them with these new enhanced care complete schemes, which are pretty much the same price. But I would say to those people, check out a plan with VHI called PMI 3613. It's a semi-private corporate plan. It's, in my view, better than the nurses' plan or the teachers' plans, which are being retired. And it's 400 euro cheaper per adult. So my general advice to people is don't just accept the plan that they recommend. Pick up the phone, engage with them, check out the other corporate plan alternatives, and um, because you might be shocked at what you've been missing for years. A couple of things that we've talked about before, Dermot, but it's always worth bringing it back. And that is this, and people still don't get it. You're entitled to ask for any plan that VHI operates. So take the nurse's plan or the teacher's plan. Let's just imagine, for argument's sake, there was an electrician's plan. And, and you thought that that was really good. You can have it, even if you're not an electrician. Absolutely. And this is the, there's, there's a number of myths out there, PJ. One of them is exactly that. So people think when they hear when they hear me talking about corporate plans, that's a generic term just to describe the plans that the insurance companies have designed specifically for the big multinationals and the and the the company schemes that pay health insurance for all of their staff. And yes, they get better deals, which you know commercially that makes perfect sense. However, the law is very clear. Your 96-year-old parents or grandparents can join those plans. It doesn't matter what the plan is called. So there used to be a credit union plan and there's teachers and nurses and teachers and nurses and teachers' choice. People think they're getting special deals on those plans. Not at all. You know, those plans are available to everybody. Mm. Um, but they really should check out the latest corporate plans. Like, for example, PJ, three really good corporate plans on the market right now that are available to everybody. The Inspire Plus scheme from Leia, 1,346. 
the PMI 3613 from VHI, 1405. And from Irish Live, the 4D Health 2, 1394. They are three excellent semi-private corporate plans that basically cover semi-private in the bonds or the matter private in Cork. And they, they give you 50% back on all your routine expenses with no mm. excess to pay. And anybody can join those plans. So so that's something. And another myth that's out there as well, PJ, There's I guarantee you now there's hundreds of your listeners who are in a group scheme and they think they're on a corporate plan. You are absolutely not on a corporate plan. A group scheme is simply a way of collecting money. So years ago, people were on group schemes, maybe through the likes of the IFA or through their credit union. And you might have got a small discount because you were through those group schemes. Those days are gone. So a group scheme now literally means nothing. You need to, you could be on a corporate plan outside of a group scheme, but you could be in a group scheme and be on the worst value plan on the market. Oh, and if anybody's wondering, how do I know if I'm on a, if I'm on a, let's just say an old plan, really the way to look at it is that if you're spending more than 1,800 per adult, if you're on the same plan for three years or more, or some people are on the same plan for 15, 20 years or more, you're definitely overspending. If you have all the family on the same plan, uh, then definitely there's a degree of overspending there. Um, and really, it just it's like your car or home insurance. If you don't pick up the phone, or even your mobile phone bill, if you don't pick up the phone and ask these guys for better deals, well, you're going to be left on the plan that you're on. You might have very good cover, but in terms of value, there could be a big question mark over that. And, and now is the time for people to shop around. An interesting um, thought that I had, well, was, was given to me, Dermot, we were talking about this one time, uh, just at home as our renewal was coming up and, and you know, you, you do the bit of work to try and get the price down. If you have, say, a cousin or an uncle or a brother or someone who works for a big multinational and they have a healthcare plan as part of their package... Is it true that if you get the name of that plan, you can have that plan too? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the only difference is, yeah, and you see, and this is where, in fairness, you see, the legislation in Ireland on health insurance is very fair. So it's funny, Irish people are, you know, the Irish psyche is very funny on these things, PJ. People sometimes, they associate health insurance with car insurance and life insurance, and they're afraid to phone the insurance companies and they're afraid to tell them anything because they're yes. afraid that, yes. well, if I tell them, they won't cover me, they load my premium. No, health insurance is the complete opposite. So we just say to people with health insurance, listen, claim everything that you're entitled to every cent because it doesn't, you know, you don't get penalized. If, if you don't claim, there's no bonuses and you check everything with your insurance company. So if you're going to get a test done or if there's something coming down the line or whatever, phone them, tell them, you know, if you're thinking of joining, tell them what's important to you because then they'll direct you to the best plan. But it's you're either covered or you're not covered. But to go back to your question there, if you know somebody who's working in a company and they rave about their health cover plan, get the name of the plan. You can phone up that insurance company and once you ask for the plan by name, they will give it to you. The only thing you won't get, most of those companies get a 10% discount on the plan, but all the rates that I quote you are the rates without the 10% discount. Right. But even with no discount, these corporate plans are brilliant. Like, for example, another one for you, PJ, any of your listeners now who like the idea of a private room, a lot of people since COVID, you know, a lot of people don't want to be mixing. Semi-private in a private hospital means you could have four other people in the ward with you. So you're sharing the bathroom, you're sharing visitors, whatever's going on in that room, you might as well be in the bed with the other person. Okay, so a lot of people now are opting for private room cover, even though you're never guaranteed to get it, but there's a stronger probability you will. Three very good private room plans in the market right now. VHI have a plan called PMI 4810-1657. Irish Life 
have a brilliant plan called 4D Health 4, 1,680. And Leia have a plan, they have a number of plans, but one plan they have is called Care Select. It's, it's 1,593. Now, they do charge an extra 3% to be paid by direct debit. But, Peter, each of those plans cover a private room and a private hospital, but they give you 75% back on all your GP and all your consultants' Thank fees. You. Um, and 50% back on everything else. So there are some brilliant deals out there, but a lot of people a lot of people don't have the, the, the will to do this. They don't have the patience for it. They're busy, yeah. and they just renew on the same plan, and before they know it, they're locked into another well, contract, and then they realize they're overspending by 500 or 1,000 euro per adult, and it's too late. Well, as I say, uh, my, my renewal, actually, Dermot, came on holiday, the, while I was on holidays this year, and I sat down with a pencil and paper, and I went through the various things. I actually managed to save myself about 600 quid, which, like, you know that's that's as good in anybody's in in anybody's pocket. But Absolutely. I stayed I stayed with, I stayed with the same company. There's another myth that I want to deal with before we leave, and that is this: that if like you said, moving car insurance, moving house insurance, there's paperwork up the wazoo to do to do it. If I decide to go from VHI to Leia, how complicated is? Do you know what, PJ? It actually is very straightforward. The the only complicated piece is at the start is just picking the right plan. So in other words, the I won't say the challenging bit, but the, the the bit that requires a little bit of patience and a little bit of investment of your time is simply phoning the insurance company and finding an alternative plan. So for example, the key question is, well, put it this, you never phone the insurance company and say, what do you recommend? Because that's it, game over. They will recommend what suits them. You do, You phone them up and you say, here's my plan. Now, what's the closest equivalent plan that you have that gives me similar benefits, maybe not the exact same, but similar benefits at a lower cost. And by the way, I want you to check across all your plans, including your corporate plans, and then just sit back and see what they suggest. And if they suggest a plan that, that let's just say, sounds good, then you simply say, great, now tell me exactly how does that compare to my current plan? What am I losing? What am I gaining? And what stays the same? And you keep them on the phone and you go through that. Now, if you're happy with everything they say to you and then you tell them everything that's important to you, what MRI scans, you you know, scan centers you want to be covered for, what hospitals, what consultants, what conditions, tell them everything because then they have to confirm whether it's covered or not. If you're happy with everything they say to you, it's just they set up the new policy for you on the phone, done and dusted. You might have to get a certificate from your previous insurance company just to say Dermot Good had this plan for X number of years. That's very straightforward. But it's all done over the phone. Uh, and PJ, it's actually... It is very, very straightforward once you approach it properly. Okay. And by the way, people sometimes get worried because particularly older people, and I would say now, Peter, to any of your listeners, your parents, your grandparents are on the old plans and they are literally throwing money away because they are the ones that are afraid to switch. I would say to all their sons and daughters, do the review for your parents. Will you be there with them and walk them through it because you could save them a small fortune? But don't let them auto-renew. And that just means they do nothing and they let it roll over because mm. they are literally, on the older plans, PJ, 500 to 1,000 euro of potential savings per adult. And that's no exaggeration. Crikey. All right, listen, Dermot, we'll talk again, I have no doubt. Dermot Good, from Total Health Coverage, health insurance broker and expert. Food for thought. I did, I saved myself a few hundred quid uh, this year. And I remember the first time that I ever did something like this years ago when the health insurance started getting pricey. Uh, another broker like like uh, Dermot uh, is a, a chap called Patrick Brennan and I got in touch with Patrick and in one move without losing anything I mean losing, without losing anything I saved 
900 euro. Yeah, it, it, this, it works to move. It really does work to move. It's worth doing it. HIA.ie is another health insurance comparator that you can do. So don't just auto-renew. There is money to be saved, a lot of it. Someone's looking for the postcode to the house in Stoke, to the Sarl house. P, or sorry, P32, P32, XH36. P32, XH36. Uh, the guest we were talking to about health insurance was Dermot Good, and you will find him, if you want to look for him, at Total Health Cover. Quickly to the Rotary Club, and we love to talk to them every year on the show because they've been doing a beautiful thing now for 19 years. Down outside, uh, it's outside Brown Thomas, isn't it, Tom Woodward? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. It is outside Brown Thomas. We spent the morning getting it ready, uh, putting up the banding, getting the shed ready, putting signs up, all for a grand opening on Saturday. This is the Rotary Tree. The Rotary Tree of Remembrance. Tell me the history about it. We st- I started 19 years ago with the Cork Rotary Club and Cork Bishopstown Rotary Club volunteers. It has become part of Christmas landscape in Cork. Uh, people will come uh, up to us, write little ribbons, uh, messages on yellow ribbons, remembering people at Christmas. It doesn't have to be somebody departed, it might be somebody abroad or somebody at home, whichever. We weave those ribbons into yellow garlands which are raised on the tree and as Christmas Eve gets closer, the tree gets yellower and yellower. It's a lovely sight. And is there a charity element to it? You're raising money? There is. You don't have to give us a donation, but if you do, we're delighted. And we, uh, it, it all goes to Cork Charities. And over the 19 years, we raised over 850,000. Yeah. Is Cork the only Rotary that does this, Tom? No, there are a number of clubs around the, uh, around the country. Uh, at one stage, there are about 35. That's gone down a bit because of COVID. But there are virtual remembrance trees as well. Uh, if people want to download the app, it's on the App Store or in Apple. It's the Rotary Tree of Remembrance app. And people, if they want to stay at home and don't want to come into town or don't want to be handling buyers or things like that, mm. they can put a virtual message up there. Okay. And we will write that out and put it up on the tree. Do you know how people might, you wouldn't realise it, but people might not know who or what Rotary is. What is Rotary? We're the best kept secret for useless at promoting ourselves. Rotary is a worldwide organisation of about two, over two and a half million uh, members. There are clubs in every city and county uh, across the world. Uh, it was started over 100 years ago in America. And uh, it is uh, where we have fellowship, membership, have a bit of crack together and raise, do, do good causes as well, raise a few bob. And um, service above self is really what the, the motto is. Excellent. So the tree is up now. And when is it open for... Ribbons. We're opening on Saturday morning uh, to start ribbons. The official opening and blessing is at two o'clock on Saturday, um, with Bishop Gavin and a few others. Father Sylvester, uh, the Lord Mayor, then will put the first ribbon on the tree as the first citizen, and uh, then tally ho, off we go until Christmas Eve. All right, listen, good luck, and Tom, we we'll, we'll, might catch up over the Christmas at the Briar Rose. You'd never know. Tom Woodward, uh, the founder of the Rotary Tree in Cork, uh, he to be of the Woodward auctioneer family and involved in Rotary for many a long day. And at one point, he was stuck in the old radio too. We won't tell that story, at least not today. 1850-715-996. All right, then. Oh, here we go. Okay, uh, we're going to line three, is it, Fee? Okay. Uh, where am I? Who have I got? Uh, 
who is on three. Maureen. Hello, how are you, PJ? How are you doing? Do you know what song that is? It was Rocketman. Sure was Rocketman. All right, do you have someone you could bring to Parky Creeve in July? Oh, I have a crowd. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can have a draw, will you? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's brilliant, yeah. A few of my family um, were trying to get tickets. So that would be brilliant. brilliant. I'd be delighted, PJ. Brilliant. Well, you'll be off to, uh, thanks to our friends at Aiken Promotions, you'll be heading oh, off on the 1st of yeah. July. Oh, All that's right. wonderful. And thanks to 96FM and a happy Christmas to everybody there. And to you, Maureen. Thanks, thanks for all your hard work during the year. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. That's Maureen from Glenmire. Uh, oh, yeah. What am I for- I'm always forgetting something these days. Oh, yes, the Christmas jumpers. Talk about charity and wonderful charity things. Talking just there with Tom Woodward. Uh, thousands of you still getting together every day, even if you have to do it virtually now, to help fight homelessness with Cork Simon wearing your Christmas jumper to raise vital funds. They share Cork's 96 of in association with Cork Simon, asking you to host your Christmas jumper day whatever way you feel safest in doing so. So you can do it in the office. If you're in the office, you can do it at home. If you're working at home, what if you're hybrid working, the people in the office do it and you do it, do it on Zoom. Have a big Zoom with your friends and colleagues or family overseas. Just do something. And you can get a fundraising pack at corksimon.ie and help to join Cork's 96FM to help fight homelessness in Cork. And on the nights we've just had, the rotten, cold, wet, windy nights, I'm sure your thoughts, because I know my thoughts did, go and uh, sit with those with no home to go to. It's supposed to be an awful time of year to be going through that. But that's it. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched today by Katie O'Keefe. We talk to you tomorrow just after nine. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money.